Once again, uh, it is so good to be able to see you, to be able to worship together. Thank you for those of you who are able to join in at home. Uh, We long for all of us to be able to be back together in one assembly soon. Now, as you sat down, not not at home, but as you sat down here, um, you noticed a book in your row of seating. Um, It's called Gentle and Lowly. Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. This is our gift to you, um, one uh, per family unit. Um, if you're at home um, and you're, you're tuning in, uh, part of our church family, we will have some for you as, as well. Um, we speak much about what Christ has done for us, and rightly so. Um, that is the, the focus of the gospel. Uh, we want to speak of that, but what this book does in such a masterful and helpful way is it takes an in-depth look at, at who Jesus is, um, just focusing on who he is. It, ta- it takes us, take a look at the, the heart of Christ for his people. It takes a look at the heart of Christ for his people um, when we're weary, when we're, when we're broken, when, when we're suffering, when, 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 when we're like struggling along in this life's journey. Um, and it, it's just a very, very helpful book. Now, it's not a book that you're going to sit down and just read all the way through in one setting. You might. Um, and if you do, you'll find benefit from it. But I also think this is one of those books where you need to slow down. Slow down, read like one chapter a day, maybe start off the day with it. Uh, meditate upon what's being there. Take time to discuss as a family, ask questions. And, I, and I, I pray that it blesses you as much as it has me in the midst of this season. And really, honestly, it's one of the best books I've read in a very, very long time. So it's, it's our gift to, to you. Uh, but now speaking of journeys... I can't believe that today marks the conclusion of our journey through the book of Exodus. It's been a 41-week journey, and some of you are like, I know, right? Like, I know it's been a, it's been a 41-week journey, and well, it's been 41 sermons, not 41 weeks. We started actually in January of 2019, um, and so 41 sermons with some significant breaks along the way, but today we come to the conclusion. Just looking around, seeing our circumstances, our situation, not the way I envisioned, uh, coming to the conclusion of, of Exodus. Um, but here we're here nonetheless, and oh, what a fitting and providential conclusion it is to, for us in this particular season. As this text brings us face to face, if you will, with our deepest longings, like what we're longing for most. And here, here's what I mean by that. Like, I want you to just ask the question, like, what do you long for most? Think about that. Like, what do you long for in this season of trial, in this season of separation? Like, what do you long for most? What have you longed? Like, I want this to return and I, I'm, obviously we can give like the, the, the proper Christian like response, like, and, and rightfully so. We want to be together with the church family. I think we all want that. But let's just think even a lot more superficial than that. Like, what are you longing for? And maybe those longings take a little elevated spot in our life. Like, I just want this to return. Like, when all this went down, like, for me, like, I miss sports. 
Like, I miss sports in a big way. Like, I was all psyched for my favorite time of the year, like March Madness. SEC tournament was taking place. I was sitting down to watch the games. And now it's June. Like, we just fast-forwarded three months, like, just boom. And all the sports and all the finales and all the madness, it's gone. What, what have you missed? What have you longed for? Now take that and let, let's just say that you got everything. Like everything you're presently longing for, you got it. <laughs> and you got it to the extreme. Like not only is the NCAA tournament back for me, but like there's no, no mask, there's no pandemic. Like I'm front row sitting behind the bench of the team, like the whole tournament long, like that kind of reality. It's never going to happen in my life. But like things like that, like all your wildest dreams come true. You get absolutely everything right now with one exception. Minus God. Everything you ever wanted, all the blessings of God, minus God. How would you respond to that? Well, this is the question our text, I think, deals with in a very helpful way today. And just to bring everyone up to speed, kind of look at our context. Remember, last week we looked at the story of the golden calf in chapter 32. The people breaking the Ten Commandments, no sooner than these commandments had been given, they had covenanted with God. They had said their I do's. They said, and like, until death do us part, we will obey. And then turned around and they cheated on God on their honeymoon. And what was God's response? Well, he he burned hot against them. His, His wrath, his anger burned hot against them. He wanted to destroy them, but... Moses, their their mediator, interceded on their behalf, reminding God of his promises. Not that God would forget his promises, but reminding God of his promises to to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. The the promise that God said, I'm going to formulate you a people, this people, and I'm going to give you a, a place to call your own, and you're going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Moses here begging the Lord for mercy upon the people even offering himself to to be their substitute, to pay their penalty. And it's an offer the Lord rejected because as noble as this offer was from Moses, like all the people, he himself was still in need of, of a savior. And now we come to chapter 33, verse number one. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people." So the Lord telling Moses to depart from Mount Sinai and go where? Well, they're on their way to the promised land, to the land of which the Lord has sworn to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, which brings us to point number one. Wanting God's blessings is not the same thing as wanting God. Because notice what we have here. God's people are, are now able to make their way to the promised land. 
They're able to, to fulfill the, the desire that they've had. They're on their way. They're, they're getting the land that they have longed for for so long. And the angel here, verse 2, is going to go before them just as the Lord had promised. He's going to drive out the, the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. All the ites are going to get driven out of the land. They're all going to be gone. And on top of all, they're going to have a land flowing with milk and honey. I mean, the cupboards are full. It's all waiting for them. They're, they're checking in and it's all prepared. They'll have everything except one thing. The Lord is saying in the second part of verse three, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. I mean, God's people will receive all the blessings of God. They're gonna receive the land. They're gonna receive the food. They're gonna receive protection, all theirs. But they won't have God. And here's my question. How many professing Christians today, how many even of you gathered here this morning or watching from home, how many of you would say, I'll take it? I'll take it. Take all the blessings of God minus God. Land, health, wealth, protection, like no more pandemic, no more staying at home, no more having to wear masks. All everything back to normal, to your greatest desires, abundant provision, only exception, minus God. You get heaven, but you don't get Jesus. Church, we have a name for this. It's called the American dream. Or at least what the American dream appears to be for many, including a large number of Christians today. All the blessings of God, health, wealth, happiness, and the pursuit of liberty, minus God. Ah, oh, but Jeremy, our, our currency even says, in God we trust. Like We're a nation about God. Well, for the most part, where God is present at all in this dream of the American dream, we see it manifested in the form of any number of modern-day idols, modern-day golden calves. Oh, friend, what a tragic dream so many are, are living. Maybe that you, I pray that it's not, maybe believing the lies of, of a serpent deceived by the sinful veil that is covering your, your eyes and failing to realize that you are on the path of destruction. Failing to realize that in the midst of this continual pursuit of earthly pleasure, that you presently stand under the judgment of the all-consuming God that we see in verse 3, and you will be consumed? Oh, friend, don't let this be you. Ask yourself in, in this very moment, and be honest with your answer. It is no good not to be honest in this moment, but what do you long for most? The blessings of God or God? Now, if you are a child of God, Here's the proper response. Verse four and Israel's, Israel's reaction to this news. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and not one put on his ornaments and no one put on his ornaments for, for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. 
So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So point number two, God's people want God. God's people want God. And yes, we're, we're speaking about the ethnic nation of Israel in this text, but don't forget we who are in Christ, we are Israel as we looked at in Galatians and God's people want God. See, when God's people heard this news, the news that they had received all the blessings of God minus God, they didn't hear this as good news at all. They heard this as a disastrous word. They mourned and no one put on his ornaments, meaning this word brought them to repentance. That's what we see being reflected in the words, no one put on his ornaments. Ornaments being their their jewelry. You think about the book of Jonah and the Ninevites repenting of their, their sin, putting on sackcloth. This isn't a time to look beautiful. This is a time to mourn. This is a time to repent. Oh Lord, uh, before you and you only have we sinned. Same holds true for us today, individually and collectively. So much to repent over. We are a nation. Whether we believe this or not, we are a nation content with the ongoing slaughter of the unborn. Continued ethnic discrimination. The redefining of of gender and marriage, the outright denial and rejection of the glory of God, a people dead set on the pursuit of happiness at all costs. Oh, friends, we must mourn and we must repent, not look to make excuses and to pass the blame. The people of Israel here shedding their ornaments, we see from wind to wind. End of verse 6 from Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, onward. Meaning this wasn't a momentary and flippant like, hey, I'm sorry. You know how we've all been guilty of at one time or another. We get into our kids for it, but we're just as guilty of like, oh, I'm sorry. No, they, they walked as a repentant people. They can't bear continuing on their journey without God. And so again, I ask, is that how you would respond can't bear to proceed in this life's journey without the intimate presence of God. Like, I don't want to go forward if I don't have God. A powerful reminder that God's people want God. But also a reminder, point number three, that the sin of God's people keeps us from God's presence. So here we find ourselves waiting upon God's answer. Like, what's he going to do? Is he going to go with them or is he not going to go with them? Like, what's going to happen here? But then there's like no answer that is given, at least not yet. Instead, we're told about Moses and the tent of meeting. Tent of meeting being different than the the tabernacle. Because remember that the tabernacle is to be placed where? It's in the center of the camp, in the midst of God's people. But verse 7 telling us this tent of meeting was set up where? Outside of the camp, far off from the camp. So if the people wanted to meet with God, they had to go outside of the camp to, to do so. Only Moses being allowed to enter in. And when he did, verse 9, the the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. Now don't miss verse 11 there. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses 
face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, the face to face in this verse doesn't literally mean face to face. It's a figure of speech. It's a figure of speech to describe intimacy and communion um, in their communication with one another. Then Moses' relationship with God. Deep and abiding intimacy that is being experienced. Now, how do, you, how do we know that? Like, Jeremy, how do you know that's a figure of speech? Like, how do you know he's not really seeing God face to face? Verse 20 tells us the answer. You cannot see my face, the Lord says, for man shall not see me and live. And what do we know about Moses at this point in time? He's still alive. So just matter of deductive reasoning here means Moses has not seen God face to face, but he is experiencing a deep and abiding intimacy. But oh church, what a sweet and refreshing sight this must have been for the people. God was outside the camp, not the way that they want it, right? But he had not abandoned them. He's not gone completely. The people are separated from God, not good, but Moses, their mediator, was still able to enter into God's presence and enjoy that, this intimate fellowship and do what on their behalf? Verses 12 and 13. Moses interceding on behalf of God's people pleading for God to be with his people. They weren't content with the blessings of God if they could not have God. Oh, church, I want that to be said of me. I want that to be said of us. Not content with the blessings of God if we cannot have God. Oh, but what's God's response? Verse 14. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest which is good news, right? <laughs> it sounds really good. And it's, again, yes and no. Yes, because God says, my presence will go with you. The you here being Moses, it's singularly focused. But no, because it's, it's only Moses. It's not the people. So Moses will receive the presence of God, but the people will not. So how, what does Moses say? Okay, that's cool, let's go. Is that how he responds? Like, no, it's not how he responds. Verse 15, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people? For every other people on the face, of, from every other people on the face of the earth? Which brings us to point number four. God's people are distinct from the world. Moses' prayer here filled with just such rich application. One, Moses says, if God is not with us, his, his blessings are worthless. Like what's the use of having all the blessings of God if we can't have God? Again, I want that to be our collective cry. Like, yes, we want things to return to normal. Absolutely. We want to be gathered together as one assembly, but not if we cannot have God. And then two, remember God's people are to be a light to the nations. That's part of the blessing, right? They're going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. That's not possible if they don't have God. Without God's presence, the people simply blend in with all the other peoples of the world, all the people around them. Sad reality is this is what we're seeing today as well. 
See, it's God who makes God's people distinct from the world, which again is what the church today finds itself up against in so many ways. As the pursuit of the American dream has left the church looking more like America than, than we look like God. See, without God, there is nothing to set the church off as distinct. Without the right God being worshipped in the right way, all we're left with is modern versions of the golden calf. Maybe that describes your life today. Maybe it doesn't. But if it does, what does it do to our witness to claim Christ, but to worship him differently, to live for him contrary to his word? What does it do to our witness? It destroys our, our witness which is why what this world needs more than anything today is not another protest, not another law, not another election, not a new Supreme Court justice, definitely not more consumerism. What this world needs more than anything is for the church to want God more than we want the world. Don't want the blessings of God if we can't have God. Oh, what a light that would be to the watching world. To see a people that want God more than the blessings of God. Not God plus, not Jesus plus, but we just want Jesus. And now we come to verse 17. And the Lord's response to Moses' prayerful intercession. The Lord's response to a heart that wants God over the blessings of God. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Meaning God will dwell with his people. But now we have to ask this question, but on what basis is he dwelling with his people? On what basis is this? On the basis that Moses, their mediator, found favor with God. The Lord saying, for you, the you there is Moses. You have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Meaning Israel is blessed with the presence of the Lord because the favor God has with the interceding work of their mediator. Oh church, what a beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel we have before us of how sinners are reconciled to God. How? Christ finding favor with the Father. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is our representative. Jesus is our mediator. He is the one interceding before the Father on our behalf. And he is the one who brings us and keeps us in the presence of God. But now here's what's awesome. (laughs) Like a little kid who's just received everything they've ever asked for. You know, like birthday comes and like you have like the mommy and daddy gifts and then like grandma and grandpa like do what grandmas and grandpas do. They spoil them rotten. And then other family gives them some gifts or whatever. And now you have the, the, everything the kids ask for is there, right? And what's the child's response? Is that it? Like, I want more. Like, I want to open another gift, right? It's kind of what we have with Moses here. Moses asking for more. Verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. And how does God respond? 
And he said in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. These verses among numerous others that follow teaching us point number five, God's people can only have God on his terms. Moses asking in verse 18 or pleading in verse 18, please show me your glory. He wants more of God. Now remember, he's encountered the glory of God before. This isn't a new thing. Remember the burning bush? Encounter the glory of God there. Remember the glory cloud? How can we forget? It's been all consuming throughout this last part of Exodus, right? He's encountered the glory of God there. But what does Moses want? He wants more of God. He wants more of God. The more he sees, the more he experiences, the more he wants. Oh, may this be said, may this be true of each and every one of us, that we would long to know more of God. The more time we spend with him, the more we want with him. Oh, we want to delight in him more and more. How does this happen? Intentional, daily time spent with the Lord. It's not going to happen if, if we're just kind of ever so often or just a little bit once a week or once a month. Like daily taking time to spend with the Lord. They start off small, but building ever so much. It's like, I want more. <laughs> I want to know the Lord more. What I've experienced today is not satisfying enough. I want more of God. Now, how does God respond to this request from Moses? Okay, but... The but being, okay, but only on my terms. The time, this time, God is going to pass by Moses. Again, Moses cannot see him face to face. If he does, he dies. Sinful man cannot see God face to face and live. We can only approach God on his terms. That's what the law is intended to teach us. That's what God is teaching his people and us throughout this, this book. So the Lord tells Moses what he's going to do. They're going to go back up the mountain. Hold on to that thought. And the Lord will, will place Moses in the cleft of the rock. The glory of God is going to pass by. And as he places him in that rock, and his, God passes by, he's going to put his hand over the cleft, over Moses, pass all the way by, and then just pull off just enough for Moses to be able to see the backside of God as he passes. That's it. And while they're on the mountain, Experiencing all of this, new tablets are formed. And why are new tablets needed to be formed? Well, because Moses broke them all last week, right? He, he broke them in chapter 32. Why? Well, in breaking one law, it was symbolic that they had broken all of God's law. They were lawbreakers. 
But now new tablets are formed. A covenant is being renewed. God reinforces the law. He's setting forth his terms once again about how his people are to live and how they are to worship. And after 40 days on the mountain, once again, he returns down the mountain. No golden calf waiting this time. But when Moses returned, his face shone bright from the glory of God that he encountered. So bright, verse 30 tells us, they, the people, were afraid to come near him. Oh, what a testimony. The glory of the Lord shining forth from Moses to the point where the people were scared to come near. So when he'd be with the people, he'd wear a veil to cover his face. Biblical face covering, if you will. And when he'd go before the Lord, he would remove the veil more glory to behold. Come out and he'd put his covering back on. The more glory Moses experienced, what? The more glory Moses wanted to experience. Can this be said of you this morning, friend? The more glory that you experience, the more glory that you want to experience, the glory of God above all else is satisfying to you. Christian brothers and sisters, we don't have to ascend the mountain to see or experience the glory of God. The glory of God has come to us and has made his face known. Hebrews 1.3 telling us, Jesus is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You remember Mark's account of the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9 when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up the mountain? See the parallels that we see taking place here? What happened upon this mountain? Jesus was transfigured before them, meaning his clothes became radiant, intensely white. No one else on earth could could bleach them. Symbolic here of telling us the glory is coming forth from, from Jesus in this moment. And if that were not enough, who's Jesus talking to? Elijah and Moses. So the two greatest prophets in all the Old Testament standing there talking with Jesus, Moses being the one who offered himself as a people substitute, but God rejected. He and Elijah standing there talking with Jesus and Peter, James, and John, they're just taking the whole thing in until God the Father speaks from the cloud. Verse seven. Verse seven of that chapter telling us And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Not to Moses, but to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. The veil pulled back, and the glory of God displayed in Christ. And God says, listen to him. Follow him. And then what does Jesus do? Verse 9. He came down the mountain and he dwelt in the presence of his people. The glory of God dwelling in the midst of the people. Which brings us to our final point of the day, number six. God is present with his people. See, when the Israelites made the golden calf, they sinned. There's no, no way around it. But in their sin, they're communicating something very important about their desires. 
They didn't want to go forward without God. They didn't want to go forward in this journey without God. Now, their impatience that led them to sin, just as our impatience can lead us to sin, led them to worship God wrongly. A reminder of why the word of God is so important to direct our paths. All their sin communicated a false message about God to the world, distorted their witness. But when they asked Aaron to build them gods, look what they said in Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. Make us gods who shall go before us. Who shall go before us. They didn't want to go alone. They didn't want to go on this journey alone without God. In church, that's the message of Exodus. That's the message of the Bible. We don't have to go alone on this journey. This difficult journey is not one that we walk by ourselves. See, God desires to be with his people. And God's people desire to be with God. The greatest fear that we should ever experience is taking one step forward in this journey in our own power outside the presence of God. That should scare us to death to think that we can do this life on our own. We can't. This season has taught us anything is that we have far less control than we think we do. It shows that we want far more control than we deserve or than we can handle. Friends, we don't have to do this journey alone. God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. We listen to him. We obey him. We we follow him wherever he leads. Now for the Israelites, their, their journey has essentially just begun. The road from Egypt to the promised land is a long, hard, tumultuous journey. But oh, the grace of God to be with his people. The tabernacle is constructed. The priestly office has now been instituted. The covenant has been renewed. And then chapter 40, verse 34. Chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day. And fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. I love those last few words, throughout all their journeys. God leading and protecting his people throughout all their journeys. Church, this present trial is a difficult moment in our journey. But God is with us. The glory of God is present with us in Christ. Feeling anxious, worried, frustrated, impatient. Oh friend, take time to behold the glory of God. Take time to behold the glory of God and thank him for his faithfulness even when we are unfaithful. Friends, this is the book of Exodus. 
Let's pray. Oh Lord, forgive us of our sinful idolatry. Convict us of our sin individually and collectively. Let us live as a repentant people. A repentant people who find our everlasting hope and joy in the person and work of Christ. May we long to know you more. Long for your glory and to do your will above all else. We thank you for the book of Exodus and all that you have taught us through it over these 41 weeks. May these messages continue to bear lasting fruit in the days ahead for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And collectively, let us live as a repentant people, a repentant people who find our everlasting hope and joy in the person and work of Christ. May we long to know you more, long for your glory and to do your will above all else. We thank you for the book of Exodus. And all that you have taught us through it over these 41 weeks. May these messages continue to bear lasting fruit in the days ahead for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.